1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts.
3: It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, when Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like tom meissen liz Hanna, joanna robinson brian cogman chuck hayward you can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989 and for five dollars you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes for a few bucks more you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes and perhaps most importantly you'll be supporting us uh so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys
2: Hello and welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a nice little cabin here in the English countryside where no one will possibly find us here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nivenbart.
3: And I'm Phil Lisco.
2: And with us today, the co creator of the Arden podcast is Sarah Gallup. Sarah, thank you for coming on our podcast.
4: Thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
2: Phil? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bill, what movie are we discussing today? I forgot.
3: Uh, we're talking about B Monkey is the film that we're talking about today. I'm pretty you sure know, you know that though.
2: <laughs> the reason I forgot is because the world forgot this movie existed until mm. a few years ago mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. um the world remembered that Harvey Weinstein is a monster and it became kind of kind of a a flashpoint uh, <laughs> because Aja Argento was one of the first people to publicly Correct. come out and accuse Harvey Weinstein um he raped her uh that you know seems to be something he did a lot but she was brave and came out right away in the beginning and uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of set this off so that is what this movie is kind of known for there's a, unfortunately at this point
3: um Yeah a, it's it, it's what you know for it, it's interesting this this speaks to this that essentially this film was to be directed by a different director, um, and whose name is Michael Canton he Jones. He wanted, yes, wanted to uh, cast Sophie Akenendo. Akinendo, I believe is. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm yeah, butchering that.
2: She's a great, uh, great actress. She's oscar Tremendous actress her, in her own right. Yeah. Hotel Rwanda. Uh, Correct. And been really great in this.
3: Yeah, so he wanted to cast her, and Harvey Weinstein um, said that, uh, decided this actress wasn't quote-unquote fuckable, was the term that he used, apparently. Uh, and that so, doesn't sound like him. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like him at all. So um, the director and Weinstein got into a pretty heated argument about that. Uh, long story short, director leaves, new director is brought on. The director's name. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Michael Radford, I believe. Radford, yeah, yeah. Uh, He comes on. Asia Argento is cast in the film, and um, in 2017, in the New Yorker article, um, she spoke of being raped by Weinstein, and uh, she quote unquote said she felt I had to because the movie was coming out, and I didn't want to anger him. Um, It's uh, it's. It's awful. I mean, I, I and 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 truthfully, I think Asia Argento is quite good in this film. I'm sure that Sophie would have been great in the film as well. But you know, it's just a, it's a disgusting scenario. Anyway, um, I'm
4: like so excited to talk about this fun <laughs> fun movie.
3: But, but I will well, just say, yeah. Sorry, go again.
4: I well, I mean,
2: look, we're not ones on this podcast to not acknowledge the bullshit around it. Sure, and this to me—I I said it to you before. I thought this film was really, really good, um, like really, really, really good. And uh, this is an this is an exercise in uh, try for me at least in trying to separate the people involved with this and the circumstances involved in this movie and the movie I saw which to me felt like a um, a less ugly version of Straw Dogs, to be honest. Like, it had a lot of that energy to me um, and a lot dealing with a lot of those themes. Uh, and I thought it moved really well and, and was pretty powerful. And I have, I have a lot of thoughts about the film. But, um, yeah, if uh, we, we, we'd be insane not to acknowledge the circumstances.
3: Yeah, I hi, mean, hi, I... Hi. Sorry, please, Sarah. No, go ahead. Go ahead yeah.
4: Well, I, like, I watched the movie... I hadn't heard of this movie at all ever, so I watched it, and then, um, then I went to the Wikipedia page and I found out all of sure the Harvey Weinstein stuff, which is horrible. Um, and I rewatched it, and I do feel like you can't entirely separate it because what I feel is really holding this movie back is how much it objectifies uh, B Monkey, the, yeah. the, the main <laughs> character, um, and. How much it kind of has? Yeah, um, it's just super milgazy, and there is sort of like this creepy undercurrent to it that you're kind of like, why is that there? Because it kind of just feels off. And so I think on some level, like you can't entirely forget that this is like a Herbie Weinstein <laughs> situation. Yeah,
3: you know, it's it's interesting. I um I didn't like I. I... It's, it's also, it feels like a movie that that is struggling a little bit with, it feels a little edited, it feels a little truncated at times. Um, I think it's very stylishly directed. I think that the performances are all actually quite good in it, all things considered. And by that, I mean the sort of male gaze component. And I would also say, too, a somewhat um, well-worn um, genre, I guess, to some degree, of of sort of the the kind of um, meek male character who meets this sort of larger than life woman of a sort of criminal component uh, who wants to leave the life for him. And then the life come, comes back for her and pulls her back in. There, There is sort of, it, it does feel a little bit, you know, tropey to some degree or another. Um, but I would also say too, that that the performances and the characters within that framework do feel uh, fresh. So I did appreciate that sort of component, too.
2: That was, I don't feel like it's that tropey. Um, I can't think of a lot of movies that had this, this dynamic, particularly, I mean, I could think of a gender-swapped. Yeah, like dynamic. that's the thing
4: is like the idea Look. of a criminal who wants to get out and they fall in love with a school teacher who wants to settle down is actually quite common. And it is very fun that this is switched, which is kind of like why I feel like the male gaze thing. It like feels out of place here because sure. like, the concept of this like on paper
3: yeah.
4: seems like it's so much about like, oh, of course we're following the the bank rot, like the jewel heist person, the con artist, like, of course the school teacher character is just kind of on the side. And so like the fact that this movie is all in on like, well, of course you are the school teacher and she's this mysterious. It's like, it feels off. It feels like we're supposed to be in her point of view more than we are. Um,
3: yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that we're, it, it does feel like it's her movie and yet Jared Harris is our POV, so I
2: don't feel that way at all. I, I just, I, I maybe mean, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Sarah, but he is our POV. He it's his voiceover, and, and uh, yeah, Her but it's, at the end, and no, the, she definitely has voiceover in it. That's true, um, but it's a, it's a two hander, and I don't really feel like she's given quite the short shrift. You guys think she's given. Um I think she makes a lot of decisions in this movie. I think she has a lot of agency in this movie. Um I think she drives the narrative uh, almost entirely and I think he is kind of a not an accessory to the point that like Rebecca Ferguson is an accessory in the town but um but more of a two-hander Hall, but yeah. Sorry, but Rebecca Hall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the uh, in the town where she really is just kind of like an object. Yeah. Um but but I do feel like this is a pretty straight two-hander between two characters who are given equal screen time and equal um, kind of weight. Now, that might not be what we want. You may want this to be completely from her POV, and that may be a function of a, uh insecure director or an insecure producer who feels like maybe the audience won't be able to identify with a female character at the center of a bank robbery movie. I think there are like dozens of character examples to that. Um, but, and that is maybe a problem, but it didn't bother me uh, as a viewer. It didn't bother me. I thought it was a really kind of, I, I did think it was a really kind of powerful story about two people who uh, are falling for each other at different speeds. And that's something I think people are kind of afraid uh, to to talk about, in stories about people falling in love which is like look one of my favorite movies ever is true romance which is kind of the opposite of this and in that that movie is about to me clarence getting on alabama's ride right and getting on her level but it have it happens like that it's a different kind of movie and the whole point of true romance i think is that they live in a movie Right, that the rules of real life don't really apply because Clarence has decided to be part of a movie. Um, this is very down-to-earth to me, and I think the impotence part of it is really interesting. Uh I, I found it kind of baffling and kind of kind of amazing, but I think it's really interesting this idea that he can't kind of get on her speed. And I do wonder. I mean, I did kind of wonder uh, what, what you guys thought about that in terms of, you know, the first half hour of this movie is about him not really being able to perform with her.
3: Sarah?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I found that uh, kind of silly because it's, like, okay, I, in a very straightforward way, like, uh, for the audience who hasn't seen Bee Monkey, I'm uh, shocked that you guys haven't seen it. Um
3: Basically I will give a synopsis like, in a second, but yes, yeah. go, go uh, ahead.
4: Yeah. On like on their first date, and then the like second date, which for some reason yes. is a trip to Paris. Um, she like t- she's like, hey, let's go inside, and then takes off all of her clothes and is like, yeah. hey, let's bone down right now. They don't. It's like halfway through the movie before they kiss. <laughs> for Some reason. Um. So like it makes, I'm. I'm asexual, so I don't actually know what goes on with dudes. But, like, I have heard that <laughs> it takes, you know, maybe more than 10 seconds to get an erection. <laughs> she, like, literally right. there is no... Build- they don't even kiss before this. Um, and so he yeah i can't get hard, and then they immediately give up which is like okay i'll just uh, go <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead
3: and i'll put it all out there. this is amazing what's I happening to, right go, now.
4: I'll,
2: I'll put it all out there they just so, go to sleep
4: like 10 like a minute later and it's like oh you're not even going to try kissing first.
2: i could see i could see i could see phil blushing but i am i just i, I, am, I am i i am down i am down to put it all out there yeah, which i think is fair okay because this is a podcast where we talk about what's going on, and I, and I, and I uh, I'll put it this way: mm. as someone who has had, I have, I have proof <laughs> that I have had erections and, and climaxed. You do because I've four children. Have children. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: As someone who has both had erections and climaxed and not <laughs> been able to have an erection, I can tell you, I know within ten seconds whether i will whether it will be what kind of night it's going to be <laughs> does this, that make sense? Is, I know within ten seconds within ten seconds, and this is you know i don 't i, I don 't know the specifics of of the screenwriter or the director or what Jared Harris brought to it, but within ten seconds, you do have a sense of whether or not you 're going to be able to perform that night uh that,
4: that's fair. Like, yeah, if, that was very true. Ideas, like, like, if he's just sort of like, I don't want to have sex with you, literally, before we've had two conversations. And, very normal, very normal perspective to have. Well, very I'll, healthy.
2: T- I'll, I'll take it. I, I would take. I think that's a, a good point because I'll take it a, a step further. As someone who was late to the party, when it came to sex, I was often in a situation. Not often. Several times, I was in a situation where my partner was moving faster than I was and I didn't know how to handle that and you try to go as far and fast as you can go but when you're in that situation it's often hard to be like look I don't because it's not a matter of desire it's not so much look I don't want to it's more like short-circuiting right it's more like something happens within your body in your head, where you're just like, I don't even know what to make of this situation, and something ha- like, like, and it's highly embarrassing, right? And then like, it's highly embarrassing. So that stuff, obviously, long long way of saying that stuff really worked for me because it really was reminiscent of a, of a person who was out of his out of his sexual league. Now, don't get me wrong. 100 percent for the male point of view 100 percent of uh, right. a, a a male viewpoint on this and she is given almost no uh humanity in those sexual scenes i understand that um so there oh, there is an issue there without question but from his side i thought that was really kind of well played and well observed so
3: well. uh
4: just like yes. what I thought was like kind of silly is like yeah. then they dance together and they form I guess like you know they finally go on an actual date and suddenly
0: right. he can um,
4: perform. suddenly he can perform but then they like they have this montage of you know her like literally like hiding in a closet or like jumping him in his classroom and it's like fine and I I feel like And again, I don't actually date. So like maybe this is just like me being like, this isn't interesting to me. Um, but I kind of wish that there had maybe been like a conversation between them where he was like, maybe other guys, you know, are jumping you right away, but I want to take my time. Like as cliche as that scene is that I've seen like a thousand times of just sort of like, I'll be the one who treats you right. Like I almost wish that they had like communicated. I think that would have made me more invested in the relationship. Cause it seemed almost like once it seems like a, a switch flips for him and like, that's it. And there's no more reason to talk about whatever intimacy they have. Uh, I it,
2: I mean, I, I understand what you're saying and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I could just tell you that from my experience, that's what happens. Um, that's, <laughs> what, enough, that's what happens. The and, and, and there, there is a, there is a actually a, a to me, like a, like a kind of profound sadness to the way they run up after they're dancing, and he, you know, gets aroused and they run up right away. Like, that's actually profoundly sad and not sexy at all. Um, but the, I, to me, at least, this movie has a relationship to sex that I think is, again, from the male point of view, that I think is far more in line than most movies relationships, most movies of this period's relationship with sex, which is um, we often see like the the more toxic viewpoint of it, where sex is a means to an end. Sex is a a thing that you do to brag about sex, that that kind of thing, which certainly happened, but and certainly gets, you know, seen a lot. And it's certainly something to like, you know, have your antenna up about and and you know call out when you see it. But this is the this is the flip side of it, which is uh that's the like this very unsexy sex that they're happening that seems like it's some kind of it gets hurdle. Sexy. It gets well, s- does it get sexy? It gets emotional. Like they wind up that and that is where the sexiness is, I think. They they do wind up forming kind of a deep connection mm-hmm. that I I really believed. But there's something about sex in the '90s where, like, it becomes this barrier for entry that I think he felt acutely. I think that's what I'm getting at, and it's a, it's it's not something I've seen a lot. And I think that was an interesting way to play that this first uh, this first act of this movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I I. I... Do agree with both of you here? I, I agree with what you're saying, Kenny. That it that there's a there's a nuance and a depth to the way that they handle the sexual relationship that I appreciated for the reasons that you're talking about. Um, you know, be this yes, this movie is seen through a male lens for sure. But most, I, I don't imagine. I certainly haven't seen many films grapple with what you were talking about, Kenny, of of a man's inability to perform under the circumstances, and and sort of showing that. Um, uh, vulnerability I guess is the best way to put it that I that I appreciated and I thought was really interesting um, and, and at the same time I do hear where you're coming from Sarah in the sense that I did feel a little bit like the, the romance was a little rushed again to a point that you were making Kenny as to that rushed component I think actually spoke to the uh, Alan's inability to perform. So I think there's a lot. First of all, <laughs> I, for our listeners, this is a lot to take in in the first uh, 10 minutes of our podcast. <laughs> We've gone from like Carrie Weinstein to impotence. So well, it's a the, lot, the, but I, I just... What's I,
2: the what's the point of doing these podcasts? No, I, I wasn't... That's <laughs> I'm, wrong know, with I'm, anything that. I'm like not the saying whole, there's anything
3: wrong with that. The it's
2: thing just, about this, and think about this podcast, I love, think about this movie that yeah, I really yeah. appreciated is y- this does get to su- this does speak to yeah. something that i've experienced that a lot of men have experienced sure. um, that a lot of women have experienced on the other side and that isn't discussed in a way with nuance and subtlety uh, i'm not saying this got there but yeah. i am saying this this did get there a lot more than other movies did, which, which I, well, I agree a
3: hundred percent. And
2: my my point being, yeah, if I don't bring what what my experiences yeah, yeah, to this yeah. podcast, what's the point, right? No,
3: for so, sure. And, and by the way, I'm not. You know that I'm not suggesting. Course, of a, course, there's anything course. wrong with any of the stuff. And I, that we're I literally about. just
2: met Sarah before this yeah. podcast. Now <laughs> she knows everything,
1: but I. <laughs>
3: And we know a lot about much Sarah. Too much, yeah. For no reason. No, no, no. <laughs> we, I, by the way, I very much appreciate you being as open as you as you have been, because I do think that 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 your perspective and your context is important for our audience to know as well. But, and and you know, uh, we we very much appreciate that. I, I'll just say that, like, you know, I think that this film um, does a lot of stuff. It's it's trying to do a lot, and I think that in varying degrees of success. Um, I want to give a very brief synopsis for the people that have not seen this film, because based on its box office results, a lot of people have not seen this film. I think uh, we should
4: just go sex scene to sex to sex to sex scene, to sex scene <laughs> and then circle back to the plot.
3: There are like six of, kind of them. That's kind of what
4: the movie is, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, Alan Furness, played by Jared Harris, is a young man with the perfectly proper quiet life of a London school teacher. But beneath all of that decency lies a burning desire for excitement, and he just found it. She's a woman unlike any other, unruly Irish eyes, Latin lips. Her name is Beatrice, but on the streets they call her Bee Monkey, played by Ari Argento. She's about to take him on an outrageous, dangerous, and sexy ride through the wild side of London. That's there you go. Uh, B Monkey opened on September 10th, 1999. I came up with that. I I didn't, dude, I didn't write it. (laughs) I know
2: you didn't, bro. Uh,
3: B Monkey opened on September 10th, 1999 against Stigmata, The Sixth Sense, and Stir of Echoes. It would go on to make a whopping $50,000 worldwide. Um, Bee Monkey has 63% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 54% from audiences. I'm going to read two brief clips from uh, two reviews. The New York Times said the best part of Bee Monkey is reveling in the dark side of Rupert Everett, the dissolute Rupert Everett, Rupert Everett drinking and drugging, destroying his chiseled good looks and recklessly putting his life in danger, which is where the second best part of Bee Monkey comes in, Jared Harris, who's becoming one of the most fascinating actors around. And then Entertainment Weekly gave it a B minus and said you may roll your eyes a bit at the glib, transparent, indie grunge romanticism of Bee monkey but it helps to have actors as accomplished as Harris who reclaimed uh, re- retitude grows feistier as the movie unspools and Argento daughter of the cult Italian horror director Dario Argento who looks like a Euro Winona rider and is just subtle enough not to overplay the babe in black leather poses again did not write either of these reviews but that's <laughs> what people were saying about it um I think it's worth talking uh, for a second about uh, Asia Argento to a certain degree, just in terms of her father, as mentioned, uh, famous Italian horror director, uh, Dario Argento, who's probably Suspiria is one of his biggest films. Um, he uh, made a lot of really crazy uh, movies back in the day. Um, crazy for today, let alone back in the sixties and seventies, I think when he was making them. Um and, and and there is a very sort of free spirit kind of component to Asia Argento's persona, uh, which I think she infuses in this film. Um, I, I think that she feels, you know, just sort of like this wild child to some degree or another. Um, and uh, I think it works really well in this film. I can't say that I've seen a lot of her work, um, but I do feel like she's... Um, very very compelling very watchable very interesting um i don't know what you guys thought of her in the film i'm not sure what you guys feel about her work or or just in this film in particular okay she's fantastic i okay. mean look
2: I, I i really did i thought she was fantastic i think that uh i think we've seen a lot of uh I mean look we've seen three hundred whatever 150, 200 films here. Something like that. We've yeah. seen a lot of we've seen a lot of actors that I hadn't really seen their work before. Yep. Um and I really thought look, I guess I like this movie
3: a lot more than you guys do. I thought she really
2: carried and this hate movie. it by
3: any means, just to be clear. And you well
2: know. I thought she carried the film. I thought she was the emotional linchpin of the film. I thought her scenes with all three of the leading men were um, were really strong and she had to play off them completely differently um, and did a great job in that. I thought she was a, to- I totally bought her as a, you know, snatch and grab uh, thief. And, you know, I think that the, look, the, I think the screenplay gave her questionable lines and I think she delivered them well. I think that was the we- the dialogue was the weakest part of this, yeah. this yeah. movie and the script <laughs> Yep. But um so much, you know, any any good actor could sell any line, I think. Um un- I couldn't understand some of them with their heavy accents. So I watched with uh with subtitles, which very often makes you really realize how bad the dialogue is. But <laughs> um but I th- I really did think she brought uh brought a lot to this performance and a lot to this film. I mean, um I, I I guess the thing I'm struggling with because I really did like it is how manic pixie dream girlish she is, but it's different, right? Like it's the, there's a Sarah. You kind of alluded to yeah. it, or you you mentioned in the beginning. There's a creepiness to this. Yeah. Um, and I think from, I, I, I'm, oh, whenever I see something that's about love at first sight, which is what this is essentially about, right? <laughs> yep. My antenna goes up and you start to wonder what exactly is the film trying to say here? And what, I mean, love at first sight, I don't really you know, necessarily believe that's a thing. Um, certainly not love at first sight. Obviously people are attracted to other people, but you're supposed to believe that he is in love with her. So what does she represent to him now that, you know, I think that's, that's the question of the, of the beginning of this movie. Sarah, what do you think?
4: Yeah. Well, like to we speak to the manic pixie dream girl aspect of it. Uh, I think people sort of took that term or that concept and they used it as a new, you know, liberal way to hate female characters because, like, for me, the problem with Manic Pixie Dream Girl archetype is that it's, it's a character in a movie or a TV show who is the most interesting person, and because they would overshadow the male lead, we don't get their point of view. That, to me, is That's the problem with that, is it is a very interesting woman who has to stay mysterious to not overshadow the dude. Like the problem to me has never been to those characters. It's been the presentation of those characters and something that I think, um, I found out on Wikipedia after watching this movie for the first time, uh, is that it was based on a book. And I was like, Oh, that makes so much sense because I kept watching this movie being like, structure wise, this is a book. This isn't a movie. This is a book. And that explains it. Um, and I think like we are, we're kind of lost without her actual POV that you would get in a novel reading it. Right. Um, but I, I think, I th- sorry, I think this is more fair to her than other other movies could be because like we do actually see, we learn a bit about her family and her job and you know her coworkers and her roommates. So she's not just like just this mysterious figure. Um, and I think the frustration that I have with this movie um, and like, we'll get into my grade, but like, I really do feel like it's like right down the middle is that I can so clearly see a better version of this movie. And it, I feel like everything in this movie, there's either too much or too little of it, but it's just uh, kind of walking this line where I like, I think this movie it gives her more credit than many other movies might with this type of character.
2: <laughs> I think that, they, I think that there's a version of this movie. See, I, I guess I, I, I guess we should talk about what your version is. That's better <laughs> because my, my, my thought goes to this could have, and perhaps almost always should have been so much worse, right? That's Where true. you are, there's You're a worse version of this movie in, as well, yeah. For sure, <laughs> the, the the version, yeah. It's the it's the book. I I never understood Straw Dogs. Have you seen Straw Dogs? I haven't. I'm more
4: of a TV person, to
2: be completely honest. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Straw Dogs is Straw Dogs is uh, Dustin Hoffman plays a writer uh, takes his wife to a cabin to write something. While they're in the cabin, um, she gets raped by a couple of local guys. Um, they basically like, uh, and there's some other shit that I don't even want to mention, but like they basically come back and he defends his house and defends his wife and essentially turns into one of them and becomes uber violent and winds up killing them all. Um, and I, 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 it's held up as a classic, uh, and I don't really know why. To be on, like, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's that's the version because it's
3: ultraviolet, right? And it's, it's Sam Peckinpah, so it's very, yeah,
2: it's very it's yeah. ultraviolet, and it's it's you know, there's a lot of allegory to to masculinity and and again, like impotence and being able to perform and all this stuff. And the woman is is the only reason his wife's character is not completely an object is because of the performance, but. Uh, but in every other way, she's just a prize to be won or, you know, defiled. Um, but I never really got that because that that's what I think this movie could have been. It could have been Jared Harris turning from mild-mannered school teacher into criminal accomplice yes. and and taking everyone down. Now, don't get me wrong. That is the plot of True Romance, but I think True Romance is very aware of what it's doing uh, throughout the movie. I think True Romance is very aware of like kind of the the the... the pulpy confines of its film. I think it's a different thing, but this is very down to earth. Whereas I don't think either of these characters uh, really sacrifice their integrity for the other character. I think they do meet in the middle in a way that that makes me happy for both of them. Uh, it makes me comfortable with, with, with where we land. Um, so I... I I, I don't know. That's I. You know, it's
3: funny, kind of because first of all, I, I totally agree with you that um, the film does, you know, Jared's character never turning, quote unquote, like never fully giving in to the criminal component of this film, um, is really is is very much noteworthy, and and it does it highlight is. something that I don't think I and I appreciate you highlighting it because it's not something that I probably took note of this this film I watched this movie literally this morning and and I really did find it kind of flummoxing if I'm being completely honest and that's not necessarily (laughs) a bad thing and I don't mean to suggest that it is Kenny I I think that I just really wasn't sure what to make of it in a lot of ways and that's and, and that's I think possibly the sign of an interesting movie and not a bad movie I think that it it's grappling with a lot of stuff but it's also sort of um as i mentioned earlier it's really stylish like from the first shots of the film i was like okay there's someone behind this this lens and behind this camera that knows what they're doing i mean michael radford has made you know several very good movies um and and you can immediately see that um and so i i did feel like i was in good hands i was in competent hands i didn't feel as though i was you know that this was going to be just some sort of, you know, weird crime, sex wrong or whatever. Like it it genuinely was trying to say and do stuff. I appreciate that.
2: And I, I I was expecting, I was expecting a budget version of like a lock stock. Right. I thought that's where we were going based on the log line. I thought it was going to be like a female led lock stock, all about the crimes, maybe some sex and romance thrown in. Um, And,
3: uh you know i there's actually type, not much crime in the movie almost quite frankly. none
2: <laughs> I, I, like at best i was hoping for a good time with the movies and at worst <laughs> i was expecting like my least favorite type of movie yeah. which is a bad british movie but <laughs> um i think it's this no winslow fucking <laughs> Uh, you
1: know
2: <laughs> right it's <laughs> it's like there's nothing where but i've seen so many movies like this not in years yes, right yes, this is yes, something yes. you see all the time
3: this is and very the, like, post-pulp drain, fiction kind of like thing
2: brain spotting yeah, yeah, log yeah, stock yeah, layer yeah, cake yeah, all that shit yeah, yep, 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 and yep. it almost always feels like a dick measuring contest these movies yep. right yep. like even ones with female leads it's like You know who could say who could be meaner? Who could say more? You know more disgusting words? Who has the biggest guns? Who who, who's you know the the most vile during a robbery? And I like some of these movies. Like I love Sexy Beast. I think Sexy Beast is a great Great film. So like I, it's not what I feared it would be. It actually reminds me more of a movie like The Limey. That's like kind of calm and kind of contemplative and kind of I, I I really can't I can't overstate how much I liked that Jared Harris, Jared Harris's character uh, kind of found his self in her, but didn't compromise his morals. Uh, I I, was willing to lose his job and was willing to kind of like change his whole life, but he would, he held the gun up, but he wasn't going to use it unless like he 100% had to. So mm -hmm. I, I, I I want to also,
3: I, I think it's worth it. I sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it is worth mentioning too, that like, the casting of this movie is really interesting. Okay, like the idea that your criminal trifecta is Asia Argento, Rupert Everett, and Jonathan Rhys Meyers. Those are three people that I never imagined I would see in a scene together, and I and and I I felt they had they just they're all very different energies, and then Jared Harris, who also has a very different energy. I think that yeah, their first dinner date scene is really interesting because of the energies that they're bringing to it. The dialogue we've all mentioned, the script is fine. Like, <laughs> and I'll just, you know, it's whatever. But I think that they had a really interesting energy. What did, what did you think about that, Sarah?
4: Um, yeah, well, you bring up, uh, yeah. both of you brought up something that I feel like I, I do kind of want to commend this movie for, which is that something I did really love about this film and I, I didn't hate it. Like, the problem is I feel like it's so close to being a movie I love. Like, that is kind of, that, that. is the frustration yeah. that, like, sure. it's it's very far from being a terrible movie, but it's... hundred
3: percent, it, yeah. It's
4: got so much good stuff that I, mm-hmm. I wish that they had just dived in on. Something I love about this movie is none of the criminals are remotely intimidating, like just the be, I love the the largest like yeah. biggest guy in the movie is the one who is presented as a total helpless dope who you know throws up on himself and like
2: oh my god can't
4: hold a gun or whatever like that is the <laughs> low yeah. physically largest criminal yeah. guy and then the the big scary guy that like everyone is hiding from just looks like a middle manager. Like he's, some rough, yep.
2: yeah, he has some rough hair going on.
4: Yeah. Yep. And I, I like that because like realistically that's probably what criminals look like. I mean, if you are go, breaking into a bank and then people can't describe you later, it's probably cause you look normal.
2: <laughs> like, <it's,
4: laughs> All right. Just as an <laughs>
2: aside, are you watching the, the, uh, the, this is a robbery on Netflix. I don't know
4: what that is. Oh, I haven't, but I just thief? finished the last scene podcast about the uh, Gardner heist thing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's I'm really into heist yeah. right now. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm glad I watched this movie because I'm on a real <laughs> heist kick. <cake>.
2: It's, <laughs> it's just funny you should say that about the uh, about the composite sketches because yeah, that comes up. That's a, I'm enjoying that that quite a bit. I love heist too. It's also nice. You know, the, the, the nice thing about heist versus you know all these other true crime, pro- uh, all these other true crime podcasts, documentaries, or whatever is no one died. So yeah, exactly. you know, it's not some grisly murder. It's uh, you know, there's that whatever. But but I agree with you. I we you know, a movie we did that did this really well was Ghost Dog, because Ghost Dog didn't uh ever glamorize its thieves, its criminals, its yep. its it gang members you know they're really mafia guys they made them goofs not even like buffoons just like just like and then not like not like idiots just like guys that you just you you just wouldn't want to be around <laughs> because they're just ugh. and i felt that with this movie too even like even rupert everett who like is basically the guy you'd most want to be around certainly in, like, his more charming roles, and we've already done a couple this year, like, the, you know, we've already, we've already done um, Midsummer Night's Dream, and yeah. we already did Ideal Husband, like, this guy is, like, you know, dripping charisma, and even that, like, when he shows up to their house, you're like, oh, are yeah. you here to ruin the movie again? And you're like, so, I think that, I, I love like his Beech- Meyers,
3: I like oh, yeah. to I don't mean
2: that bad. I don't mean these here to ruin their moments. Yeah. That's yeah. all I
3: mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. uh, I, I think God
4: they weaponized his charisma really well because you do. Like, oh, too. that yeah. is a guy who you follow around for a few years and then after a while you're like, "Oh, wait, there's nothing under there." Yeah. It's just that surface mm-hmm. level charisma and I got yep. completely taken in.
2: Yeah. Uh, so it's I thought pred- that they, so And a really they did that really nicely in the beginning with the dancing with their
3: kind of like three-way dancing. Yes, yes, yes.
2: You get how she's taken with him. You get how Jonathan Rhys-Meyers is taken with him. Like,
3: I got to say, you know, we've, you've mentioned it, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream, An Ideal Husband, this film. I honestly, Rupert Everett's one of the guys or one of the people at a 99 that I'm one of the most bummed that he didn't have a career. Like that that a career didn't manifest. Now, I'm sure there were any number of reasons for it, but just a, 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 a you tremendous- You know the reason for it. You sure. can say it. I mean it's it's unfortunate that you know him being openly gay hurt his career it seems like that was the case and uh I think he's definitely the case it's definitely.
2: And that's clearly what happened and it's horrible
3: it you is know, yeah, horrible. absolutely because I got to say the guy is so tremendously talented you know the, the, he just brings this really interesting charisma that that especially in the scenes he has in this just even a shot of him when, when they come into their house, I guess it's midway through the film, and he has basically trashed their house for all intents, their apartment, and he's yeah. sort of, like, sitting in the corner, and you've got, like, the sunlight streaking in, and he just looks like this wounded animal that's just kind of, like, just sitting in the corner, um, you know, his clothes are, he's, you know, hasn't shaved, his hair is all messed up, like, he's just got this very sort of... Um, broken quality in this and yet at the same time you could see yourself absolutely being taken in by whatever he's selling you uh it's it's really he's a really special actor and and unfortunately um we didn't see enough stuff from him absolutely he spent
4: so much of this movie kind of like sulking or like yeah (laughs) just kind of like in a heap on the floor like like just like not like very non-charismatic physical Mm -hmm, body mm -hmm. language things, of just sort of like, oh, I'm just sort of like hunched over (laughs) on the couch.
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. Um, And yet he's so magnetic at the same time. Like he doesn't have to do anything. I agree.
3: I agree. And I I also, sorry. He's he's
2: at that moment. We're seeing him at that moment where he goes from confident to self-conscious. Right. We're seeing him at that moment. Well, like the fact that he has all these pictures on his piano uh, of him and with celebrities he sells drugs too, um, he was once let in. he was once you know he was once everybody's best friend. he was the dealer, and now he's just it's falling apart for him yep. at this very moment. and I mean that those are always narratives I like. I always like the idea of fall. I always love falls from grace mm-hmm. um, because I think they're I, I think it's pretty profound to have and then have lost. Um, and I think seeing how uh, how desperate he is at the end, where I think he really just comes up because he misses her. I mean, he calls he calls her Benny, right? Like he has a nickname for her, and he really cares about her. And you know what else it was reminiscent of? Um, and this is another thing I like about it is uh, the the Sharon Stone James Woods storyline in Casino,
3: mm-hmm.
2: an mm-hmm. idea of it's. It's very it can it can be very hard for two people to try to make it when they're from two completely different walks of life because people have pasts and people have, you know and, and pasts catch up to you. Um, that's the true codependence no matter what of it, for sure yeah that yeah that codependence it's true no matter you. what but in this particular case like she is actively trying to like quote unquote go straight she says earlier I have a straight job yep and that's clearly very hard because she was the, the codependency they were they were parasites. Right? They were sure. just parasites on her. Um, and she, it's very hard for, for her to, you know, not feed them. So.
3: And I, I think that that folds into the, the Bruno character, the Jonathan Reese Myers character too. I mean, this guy who's been sort of, um, it, it does feel like the world has kind of metastasized him, the criminal underworld, if you will. And, and just this idea. And he's
2: only 18.
3: Of, yeah. Yeah. So there's, 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 and, and his, you know, his, a feelings runaway for for, for AJ Argento's character um he does a really great job as well i mean again it's a pretty stacked cast and and i have to say too you know jared harris who has obviously had an, an incredible career um and the range of stuff he's capable of doing um unbelievable um but there's something about him in this film this this vulnerability this this intellect um all of it that's that's very much on the surface that you see in you know obviously he's incredible in mad men his performance is lane and that is is unbelievable um he's very good in the terror uh he's good in Chernobyl like he's just he's just a guy that you can always rely on and knows is going to give you um, a three-dimensional performance and and he's tremendous in this um yeah. did, what are your thoughts on Jared Harris Sarah Oh I love
4: him uh <laughs> I I just uh, finished the terror and he's uh, incredible in it. I I will say it was the it was really weird to see this movie like just to see like, you know, little baby Jared Harris. He's like so
3: young he, in it. He
4: yeah. uh God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But like he, he I
3: looks, highly doubt it.
4: But uh, he looks way worse somehow. Like him being young looks That's wrong it? on him. It doesn't
3: <laughs> oh. I feel
4: like he's supposed to be forty and him young just looks like like, yeah. when they kind of like put a wig on an older person to play in a fun, like, it just looks off. Um, and I say that as like someone who does think adult Jared Harris is like very sexy. And like, Interesting. you know what? A character okay. actor way. He's got a great voice, which the, sh- which the movie very smartly is like, let's just have him talk a lot. <laughs> uh, cause he's got an amazing voice. Um, I think it was very brave of him to take a role where they say more than once that the character is ugly but Funny at the good. same time has nude scenes. I think that's very heroic of any actor to attempt <laughs> <laughs> To be like, cool, cool, well, I'm playing an Ugo and you are going to see all of me and I'm comfortable doing that. Uh, yeah. I'm
2: yeah. Very yeah. brave. I, well, I want to talk about that more.
4: Well, yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, like, I sorry, also sorry, want yeah, to yeah. say like Given that the premise of this movie is that this supermodel, beautiful, uh, exciting con artist woman gives it all up for a in a text, incredibly average looking like school teacher. I do feel like Jared Harris is the kind of the only guy with the sort of built in and gravitas where you're like, OK, yeah, I'm on board. Like,
3: that's- I agree with that. I agree with that.
2: That's pretty much what I was gonna say.
4: I, like right. that, yeah, just
2: like that, that's like that's essentially what I was gonna say. I, I was I I, I guess I like I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. I do think, <laughs> I do think that they that they 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 purposely lower your expectations, saying he's funny looking and putting him next to her. Because I did like pretty quickly start thinking maybe after they had sex or maybe they were naked together or whatever uh i did pretty quickly start thinking like no they they look okay together like this is not this isn't crazy like they 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 look like a pair like i see it so it's hard like it's an incredibly like fine needle to thread uh but i think they did it and uh i i found him very like like strangely attractive in this movie (laughs) considering i'm not like you i think like lane is like like not a good-looking guy and i think older jared harris very charming totally understand why like a person would want to you know spend their life with him because he seems great but um no i like he does read funny looking to me but not in like a busheby way More in like a you know a Karen Hans boy kind of way. Does that make sense, Phil?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure he's definitely a Karen boy for sure. So I I I do think, and I'm just sort of I was like cycling through Jared Harris rules in my head. He does feel like a guy who's often cuckolded.
2: Yes, (laughs) he's like yes, (laughs) um, right,
3: and and (laughs) I. That's his lane. Um yeah. and, and and I don't that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think that like Lane's character on Mad Men has a similar energy to this in the sense of him sort of there's a powerlessness to that he that he's emanating and yet he does have charisma and control. It's this weird push and pull that I that's in, interesting. In
4: well, I think Mad he's Mad like man. he's a very settled Performer, Like, I yeah. feel like anytime I'm watching him, mm-hmm. like, regardless of the circumstances he is in, because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, often in Mad Men and definitely in the terror when everyone's fucking dying. Like, he is, like, <laughs> kind of, like, there is a finite amount of stuff I can do about the situation. But, like, he always seems sure of himself, which I think is also yes. why, I like, um. Yeah. There's a confidence
3: I, in that, yeah, for sure. I, yeah,
4: I, <laughs> I loved him playing, I think he's my favorite performance of Amori arty in, um.
3: Yeah, he's very Bill good in, this, in the too. show. Um, see,
4: yeah. And he played like a villain on Fringe. And I think that's like why he's a good yeah, he villain did. is because like when I feel like if you were to sit down with the negotiation with Jared Harris, you would just immediately be like, fuck, that guy knows exactly what he wants. Yeah, <laughs> smart. And I, I think that's yeah. I still really in this movie, I don't think it sold me enough on the relationship on what they kind of both wanted especially considering that like in the first monologue he says that he wants an exciting life and then he's never into it at any point an exciting yeah. life is offered
3: it's true um
4: <laughs> That's but point. i since the script fails to sell you on he represents stability, mm-hmm. I think Jared Harris steps up to the plate on doing that on his own. <laughs>
3: yeah. I think that you know it, it's funny you bring up um, negotiations because another role that he's tremendous in is the uh, Kelly Reichardt film Certain Women. Um, he has a he's a, I guess one of the male characters in that film or one of the male leads in that film. Um, but but he's just um. Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but this conveying confidence and weakness at the same time is is a real talent. Like, there's just there's there's this. Truthfully, I think it's just there's a humanity to him, and we all we all contain multitudes, and thus he conveys that in a way that I find really fascinating. Well, in in Mad Men, for instance, correct? Yeah,
2: uh, in Mad Men, for instance, his. It's so nuanced and so smart, but by virtue of his position, he has the confidence. He he should have confidence going into every room knowing that he's protected and that his voice matters. But by virtue of being an outsider and being in a room filled with your, you know, John and John Slattery's. He probably, he he also probably feels, and this is, you know, this does have something to do with the way he looks, but also something to do with the fact that he's British and something to do with the fact that those guys were like, you know, fucking American charisma, like Mm -hmm. up to a thousand. Like that, those are hard fucking guys to contend with. And he played that so well. This like, again, don't mean to use the word, but this impotence Mm -hmm. next to, uh, next to these American guys. And I, I don't think that was by accident. I think that was like, sure. I think, I, I think that that was very built in on a meta level, this on a, you know, on a, um, on a allegorical level of Britain's relationship with America at this point of time, particularly when it came, came to messaging, mm-hmm. particularly when it came to, you know, uh, when it came to, you know, keep calm and carry on versus we're going to stick a boot up your ass. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that there's something to that. And I think that part of the reason I like Jared Harris so much in everything he does is because I love the quiet dignity of keep calm and carry on. I love the quiet dignity of like someone who, you know, knows that he has the goods and in the right situation presents himself in the best possible light. But he has always had trouble with someone, I'm not saying the actor, but his characters always have trouble with someone who tries to out-alpha him. And that's a really interesting kind of place to be. And something I really love about this movie, which is like the alphas go down and his like, his hold the line thing, you know, is kind of what wins the day. Now, again, doesn't change the fact that this movie... Completely becomes his movie at the end, and he does kind of save age argento at the end um and there is that kind of like you know he yeah he became her port in the storm, but uh I do think that that's an unusual kind of maybe it's a European sensibility, maybe it's a British sensibility it's certainly not something an American would do, but this idea of might doesn't always make right you sometimes right makes right you know yeah i I
0: think
4: that's a great point and I think almost that's that is the flip side of the stability I was talking about of like he in this movie you mentioned like um he doesn't compromise, you know, like he he's willing to like just sort of like he'll lose the job if he loses the job. He's not going to like do something dishonest to keep it. Um And I think like you see that in Mad Men or um, like to some extent, like the terror of just sort yeah. of like he, and it's very present here of like, knowing who you are can put you at a real disadvantage if you are dealing with a wild card, which is exactly what's yeah. happening here. It's what happens on Mad Men where he's like, he can't really go up against Don Draper because Don Draper, you never know what that dude's going to do because right. he doesn't know who he is. And uh B in this movie, yeah. she also, you know, sometimes she's a sweet little kitten and sometimes she's a tiger because like, she's figuring that out for herself. She's young and she's come from this world and, uh, he's kind of can't predict her in the way that she can kind of, she uh, kind of is wrong when she tries to predict him because she assumes that she, he also can zig and zag and he can't. And I, I think this movie in terms of, um, if we were just talking about Jared Harris's, its role in Jared Harris's filmography, I think is very interesting for like really encapsulating that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think there's something very sort of... Um
0: it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm
1: breeze, relax,
0: and think about
1: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
2: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness.
3: how sort of stable he is, if that makes sense. You said it yourself, Kenny, that, that neither of them, I mean, I guess B to some extent does, I don't want to say evolve because that makes it sound as though she wasn't evolved to begin with, but she does change a little bit, it feels like by the end of the film, right? Yeah, that she has an arc.
4: And she has he an doesn't. arc. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I don't feel like he does. And that's, again, that's not a hindrance on the film necessarily. I like the fact that he's solid. I like the fact that he knows who he is and he knows his rules and he knows sort of where he wants to land and i appreciate that that she doesn't and that that's what makes her excited
2: and he also doesn't he he doesn't actively try to change her or save her correct he doesn't judge her for you know her tattoo or tagging or even when she says armed robbery and yep. i mean she does say I, she's kidding but um <laughs> yeah. she's he's not it's that's not what this movie is about it's not her going to do one more job and him pulling her back and saying if you do one more job i won't be here when you come home It it that's it's just true. not what's going on here it's it's now, don't get me wrong. Like, maybe you I should try like to change. I felt like it really
4: that. was. <laughs> well, maybe, well, I, <laughs> I got that impression a lot from the movie that he was He was kind of like, no, I'm the sensible adult and you need to stop this. And I'm not going to put up with it. Like, I that was very much the vibe I got from that relationship. <laughs> well, what pushed him over the
2: line was when she went and either threatened or hurt the mother of the kid who, you know. Right, right. And this yes. is cool. Yeah. Yeah, the kid at school uh, who was threatening his job, and yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's a question of like, okay, so it's on one hand, it's good that he doesn't say anything. On the other hand, she is a danger to herself and to him and to people around him. And when what's the what's the reasonable response to that? Walking away or trying to help or, or what? At that point, you do get into a more a bit of a moral and ethical situation um how how much is appropriate to go to help to change someone you love when you obviously only know what you what you're told and what you see about this person you don't know the 99 percent of their life that that's outside of you so it's
4: I think he has a very reasonable reaction to all of her crime stuff. And in fact, I like the fact that he forgives her is, you know, he's very generous with his forgiveness because true. Um, she involves him in a lot of stuff that he could go to serious jail for. Trouble, and yeah. she is the reason why a bunch of armed people show up at his home. Uh, you know, the. the not everyone appreciates their spouse causing them to have to bury bodies. Oh,
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Bruno buried the I, body. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I'm not That's how I don't be from. too harsh on him. I just feel like part of this is, um, you know, we see the fight and then we don't really see them make up. Like it, they decide to forgive each other on their own time off screen, which is like yeah. okay. Um But, like, there's that scene when Rupert Everett shows up at the house where he's, like, you're always asking me to prove that I love you and I'm always doing it, and you never do anything. And in my head, I was, like, you are just – you have made all these decisions for – like, Jared Harris decided to move to the country and accept a new job, which is kind of the only – like, that's a big sacrifice, but that is one that it was completely his idea. Mm
0: -hmm. And then,
4: meanwhile, she has – cut off cut herself off from all of her friends her you know her family her support network there were they were bad people but it's still like a sacrifice she's gave up her job in the city yeah. she moved from london to a fucking cabin in the middle of nowhere where you see that she doesn't have any friends in town she doesn't yeah. have her own car she has to walk into town like she seems and, happy though uh and then so and so because he says that she has to kick out her only friend who is in danger and it's like, OK, it's it's a bad situation. And I'm not saying that, you know, she is the one who was right. I just felt kind of frustrated to be like, I don't know, dude, if you are dating a person who shoots other people, you can't be like shocked when they're that person anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like I that. Just, I like that scene outside. It's so. enough. <laughs> I liked the scene outside. it felt real to me. I felt like they both kind of stated their case and um and neither was particularly wrong again like to to so many fights in couples have to do with the one percent you actually know about the other person <laughs> and true. assuming that you know the 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 rest of it. It doesn't even exist, right? The only thing that matters is what the person is giving to you and what you're giving back to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that this was the one moment where he did feel at once selfish and also kind of demanding that he be seen uh, within the context of this relationship, without recognizing how much she was giving to him in her way. Yeah, and that's yep. I. Th- and that I think does kind of like speak to, you know, this last to me. It was kind of that last hurdle between two people who still haven't quite met in the middle.
3: Um, so. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I Kenny the 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 connection that you made earlier to to true romance. I think is a is an apt one in the sense of it's sort of this idea of two people from two very different worlds. Um, you know the the criminal world sort of colliding in the middle of that um, and two people trying to sort of see if they can coexist um, I think is, is, is really compelling and I think is quite well done in this, despite the fact that, you know, I, I probably, I do agree with Sarah that I do wish that there was a little bit more meat in those earlier scenes prior to the, the sex stuff. Um, But I, I still, I still you know, looking back on this now, I do think that there's a lot more here and that I just wasn't really sure how to process all of it because I just felt like A.J. Argento was just, like, naked for, like, so much of this
4: movie. So was, much. She is <laughs> naked
3: a lot in this movie. Yeah. and, and She's and a guy like, naked. <laughs> but also, like, there's scenes where she's naked where she doesn't need to be naked. There's just, like, oh, she's so just, like, like... They're just, like, chatting. <laughs> they're just chatting. She's lying on a bed. You're like, what's happening?
2: It's obvious that, that Radford either was told explicitly or felt a lot Correct. of pressure to put a lot of her completely naked body in this
3: movie. Correct.
2: And that is troublesome, um, yeah. mostly because you don't know whether it was an artistic decision or whether it was a, a, totally, I guess a, a commercial decision though. I, you know, hesitate to use that term, but like just in terms of Radford's survival as a director. Um, so, but here I want to say one thing Please. about true romance because the reason I love True Romance, and I think it's a better film than this, is because everything that happens in this movie uh, is absurd. And, <laughs> and um, I love that yep. because I love watching a movie. But this movie is a- attempting to say, um, no, this is to- totally normal shit. Like, no, no, no. This is some normal shit that happens to some normal people. Where True romance like, puts it out there on Front Street, which is from the moment, like, Clarence basically, like, steps into this movie, and Elvis is, you know, half behind him, and he works in a fucking comic store, so you're, like, steeped in the mythology of heroes and villains. It's like, you're gonna be in a movie from step one, and everything that happens from here on out is going to be heightened to the max. So, like, enjoy it, which I'm crazy about. But uh, and so, I, I, I the rules are so are, are 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 so much looser in a movie like that. But I still do think, despite the fact that everything in here is quite ridiculous, uh, the emotional um, content of this movie worked for me like gangbusters
1: so
3: i you know it's (laughs) it's interesting i you know as i mentioned watched the film earlier this morning and sort of i guess i don't really know what i thought it was that's not true i think i thought it was just sort of a shitty crime movie and and that there was some sex in it um and which is
2: not a crazy thing to think considering no no one fucking ever has heard of this movie and you assume it's some basic fucking direct dvd situation
3: And then, you know, reading up on sort of the Michael Radford of it all too, which is that he was going through a divorce and it was essentially a gun for hire gig and he was just like, I need to get paid. Um, And to your point, Kenny, I agree with you. I'm sure he was just at the whim of whatever Weinstein wants. Whatever Harvey wants. Yeah, whatever he wants. Sure, I'll do it. Um, But, you know, all of that being said – I think that even with a script that was, you know, let's say a, a B-minus script, I do think that he found some depth. I think he cast it really well. And I think that he found a better movie in this than, quite frankly, the script probably yeah, deserves. That's exactly how I feel. Um, I want to ask a question to you guys. <laughs> Have you ever heard about a DJ at a hospital? Is that a thing? Because I'm not sure I've ever heard of that before.
4: Okay, can, can we ta- just... Here here is I think maybe the main thing that just made it difficult for me to emotionally connect to this uh movie or root for this couple at all uh-huh. is um
0: uh-huh.
4: all like in the opening monologue of the movie. Mm-hmm. Jared Harris's character, Alan Furnace, which I want to go on record. Alan Furnace is an equally stupid name to B Monkey, <laughs> <laughs> the worst name I've ever heard. They are it's, the two worst names B- I've B- ever heard in the same movie. B uh, Monkey's
2: the worst. B Monkey's <laughs> okay, terrible. Like, like, I hated. Oh yeah, yeah.
4: So here's much. our average protagonist, at A Furnace. Fuck you. A furnace? (laughs) Fuck you. Um, But he says in the opening like voiceover thing um, that the DJ booth at the hospital where he works nights is the only, and I quote, the only place in town where my kind of records are welcome. And he is talking about classic Classic jazz albums. And then like an hour into the movie, you find out that they're in London. (laughs)
3: Yeah, they don't. I was don't like, play yeah, what town
4: jazz. is this? This like this is so weird. Like, so there's jewel heist, but also yeah. like there aren't any jazz clubs, and then you find out that it's London, and you're like, you know what happened here? Alan just doesn't have any friends.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. no one wants no, to listen to his records him about
4: cool clubs <laughs> because I yeah. guarantee yeah. you, you could find good jazz performances yeah. in London. Are yes. you?
3: Find sweet. I, <laughs> I, I mean,
2: I I hate protagonists who love jazz
0: I just, okay, it's, 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 it's such a I, way to show uh, that
4: your white dude protagonist like is oh, i i know and it's, I like, know.
3: it's hmm, the worst it's the worst part of la la land quite frankly
4: well
2: to of course music but, that
4: current black people are making you could just that do that too. And, yeah
3: yeah
2: it's, uh, it's yeah i i it is it's it's <sighs> it's
4: embarrassing it's, it's so embarrassing that, uh, this movie, it's, it's honestly, love and
2: theft it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. the more you defend it, it the more yeah.
4: i feel like this movie is actually quite embarrassing
2: <laughs> it's i'm not embarrassing that <laughs> no boring. no it, like it's i kind of forgot that pretty quickly like how much i like how you you can well, the see the movie it like forgets
3: this, it quite frankly well, too I mean, like it it my running my running
2: my uh, log of the I movie basically it, yeah. so
4: i
3: oh you bought I it want, you yeah, own I, monkey I now. bought
4: it and now it's the only purchase I have on Amazon Video which makes me look like some kind of pervert uh, <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. not a
2: pervert but I, so I've you, seen
4: it you know, two is, and a half times to get my money's worth and uh it's that's amazing a clunker it, no, here's the thing. There's, th- there's an earnest i am decided we're getting in late in this movie I started very generous and I'm like you know what we need to be I have a contrarian on here Yeah. it's a humiliating film there's an earnestness to this film
0: <laughs> that makes you
4: feel like a college student wrote it because it's such a, their idea of what it's like to be an adult is so laughable. Uh, You know, bank heists on a lunch break. Jared Harris is like, oh my God, I'm so poor. I can only afford this amazing houseboat to live on. And then he's so scared about his job and the the financial prospects that instead he gets them a cabin in the countryside. (laughs) Like a full house. They own a full house. And that's how you know that he's giving stuff up to be with her. They move into the the fact that like. Hey, you didn't like it. What can you say? Yeah. Uh, Uh, (laughs) You keep going It's ridiculous. Everything about it is ridiculous. (laughs) I'll I'll
3: say say this. I think that it, you know, part of it too is that I think it's a Popey script. Like I think that the script is trying to kind of be this mashup of a bunch of different genres. Um, I again, I don't think any of us are necessarily writing for the script. I think the script is. I think the script is dialogue. But but I'll just say to to your point, Sarah, that I think part of it, the reason that it works, is that somehow I do feel like Radford. Kind of flattens it out in a way, and I don't—I don't mean that—that that sounds negative, but like somehow makes it feel symbiotic a little bit, so that it doesn't feel as jarring as when you say those things in sequence. I agree with you; they all sound insane. Right. Of
2: course. But then when
3: I watch it in the in the actual film itself, it does feel of a piece somehow, so it doesn't feel as like. I mean, I, I made fun of the DJing at the hospital because I think that's fucking stupid and dumb, and and and. They kind of sweep it under the rug pretty quickly as well, but it, it also just sort of feels like kind of pointless. But going to the cabin at the end is also sort of like—I mean, we've all seen the the heist yeah. movie or the whatever that ends at the cabin, yeah, like up North or something, yeah, or yeah. whatever—and that's fine. I'm fine with that. But you were going to say something, Kenny?
2: No, I don't have anything else to say. I mean, like, I think you said it really well. There are like, there are like a lot of things out of context that are absurd and there are also a lot of things in context that are absurd yeah. um, but to me at least it wasn't absurd to the point where i was offended by it now right certainly no <laughs> knock if you were um but i but it didn't it didn't like distract me like certainly the stuff that is a lot harder to take is the stuff we talked about this whole Podcast, which Correct. is you know the the, the any film components. that feels yeah. like it's not made yeah. by an artist or a group of artists for the sake of artistry, um, or conversely by a group of mercenaries <laughs> for the sake of commerce, right? Does does feel like it puts you in a very weird place mentally, and particularly yeah. a film like this, which was, I believe, uh, at the very least conceived as a piece of art yeah and then bought by a mercenary uh and then turned into something that he thought he could sell and he failed at that which is great in its own weird way makes it even more uncomfortable but the final product to me was a pretty cohesive piece uh very cohesive piece to me a very cohesive piece that made sense that I, i wasn't bored at all so that's just kind of where I land but uh you know just, just, I,
3: I'll say two as quick, such I'll say two such that uh, two quick things the first is um I agree that I was never bored um for what for what that's worth I felt like it moved at a quick clip um you know a, a, and and I was I was at least I was entertained now I also didn't buy this film <laughs> so I imagine yeah. on some level how didn't you oh, buy didn't, this film couldn't you just I, rent it on Amazon like we did? Oh, well, you okay, could rent I'm, it. Yes, you could. Yeah. Rent, I thought that's. But I, rent, I
4: I wanted the time frame that I knew I could watch uh, it was okay. so was just out of the window of like if I need to rewatch this on Sunday. I night. see what you're saying. Oh, okay, okay. Fair um, I might as well buy it. I just I feel bad. It was the cool. only also, available. I was yeah. Like I just went. You know what? I lived my life with optimism, and there you go. Uh, <laughs> it,
2: at the very least, it's better than the movie B-Monkey sounds, right? Yes.
4: True, yeah. Yes. I, yes. I would say oh. yes. definitely this movie is believes in itself very firmly, which I think is- That's true. Again, almost the thing that I find frustrating is that like it's so confident that you will like watch this movie and be like, oh, and of course, everyone is immediately obsessed with uh, Beatrice because we cast mm-hmm. a beautiful actress and she is very beautiful and she sure. is very magnetic, but like- then it just doesn't feel like it has to do the work because it's so sure. It's like, oh, and of course you're on this side. And of course you agree with this. And of course, like, and it's, I appreciate that that charisma. And I think maybe if Mm -hmm. I saw this in a movie theater, I would totally buy it. But like watching it just in my living room, uh, I was kind of like, I almost wish that you had asked a few more opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And honestly, this seems like a too many cooks situation reading about sort of the post. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Like, um. I am convinced, I think, Yeah, I think the lead actress does a good job, given that it is a bad script and she's not a native English speaker, which I think is a very cruel thing to do, to give dialogue yeah. that doesn't make any sense to a non-English speaker.
3: <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> which
4: is not... Uh, My dad is an immigrant to America. Like, I'm not in any way, yeah, like, yeah. you know, what a be speaking. That's 0% a point of view that I've ever had. Of course, I, of course. Um, and she... Definitely carries it with charisma, but I think like you can see a struggle a bit because the sentences she's saying don't make any fucking sense. Uh,
3: <laughs> I do think that but. like yeah, I do. I, I think that there's something to you when you guys brought up the manic pixie dream girl thing, which I think is interesting. Um, I thought what both of you said was really interesting, and I never th- I never thought of the, the manic pixie dream girl through the lens of uh, empowerment. You know, what I mean, this yeah. idea that, like, that the female character being more interesting, being seen as an inherently bad thing, yeah. I think is is an interesting perspective that I'd never thought of before. That's
2: that's not what it is, though. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not suggesting yeah, that
3: necessarily. That's what,
2: yeah. Is manic here, Pixie, manic Pixie, Dream Girl is, uh, to me at least,
3: mm-hmm.
2: an unwillingness to to flesh out a character for whom you've been given, who for whom you give, to, excuse me, to whom you give a few interesting, exciting traits, but mostly just to serve as a you know romantic interest for your male characters. And it's it's okay. If 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 someone if there was a character that was more I mean empowerment empowering is not the word, but I, I feel like any character that was more fleshed out mm-hmm. would no longer be a Manic Pixie dream girl. She would be a character that you would describe in other ways.
3: Well, it's it's so. What's it? So I just apropos of it, just happened to be on television the other day. I watched uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer again, which um, which I quite liked when it came out, and I still quite like it. Um, but there are things that that bump me about it. But the 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 manic pixie dream girl component, this idea of the quote unquote sad sack beta male who doesn't know how great he is until said woman comes into his life to invigorate him and give him confidence and and allow him to sort of see the error of his ways. That's the manic pixie dream girl. At least that's how I've always defined it to some way or another. Um, And I don't think that that's what's happening here. In fact, I think what's interesting about this is what we said earlier, which is that Alan stays the same. She doesn't actually change him.
2: I think that Five Hundred Days of Summer, to its credit, is somewhat yeah. of an a, somewhat of an inversion of that trope. I yes. think at the end, when she, you know, declares mm-hmm. herself to be a full character and that she's yes. not here to fix him, uh, I think that does kind of blow up the idea of. I idea. totally agree. Yes, but I I, I I respect that about that movie yes. a lot. Yes, though.
3: I think that one of I, I think the two examples that everyone kind of points to is Elizabethtown and Garden State are the two most sort of Garden glaring State's examples. A pretty bad one, yeah. Wait,
4: I. Heard Days of Summer get a lot of shit for that, and I think,
3: but like, I think what Katie th- said is interesting, like, yeah. That they do well, kind of invert it by the end.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, they, no, did, I, yes. I liked it, and I I liked her character, but I, yeah, what I was like, uh, what I mentioned earlier of just sort mm-hmm. of like th- the awareness of that right. trope becoming a new way for people to shit on women, yes. I really saw with 500 Days of Summer where like suddenly Zoe Deschanel was like. So many people were making fun of her for being, you know, like that and being quirky and thinking that she can just, but like, it shows that people watch that movie and just took every single thing at face value and they were like, fuck her for that. And it's like, no, it's a movie about how she is a full person and her boyfriend will not listen to her or pay attention to who she really is. Like, that is the point of that movie. And yet people... The Left that you know. movie just excited to have a new reason to be sexist in a way that made it sound like they read. Uh- <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think I also think that Zoe Deschanel also became the, the crosshairs I mean, yeah, just were on her. You know what I mean? Like, you know. You know what I mean? Like there's she and him, and then there's her being adorkable for for New Girl. Like all of that stuff kind of compounded all of these things. I think, and people just mm-hmm. and I don't I don't hold any of that against her. I just think that people did. Uh, they yeah, they yeah, used yeah, it as an exactly. example. So, uh, but I yeah, do think they, that but, they, yeah. they
2: held it against her because she was good at what she did, and they yeah. built the whole show around this character. And you then know. people decided that it's it's exactly what you're saying, Sarah. What I think it's people decided that oh my god, we, we don't want them to have full formed lives. Yeah, yep. that's too much. Yep. A person like this is only a prize to be won, and maybe change a male protagonist. So I, yeah, I, I hate that stuff. I hate I hate when some actor kills it in a role and then becomes a big actor and then everyone yep. gets mad about it. It's pretty disgusting. <laughs> it I mean, sucks.
3: But, because it's right. like yeah. it's, well, it also, it kind of falls into the category, and I hate when this happens too, where it's like you you find this band and you love this band and then they become popular and people hate on the band because all of a sudden they're <laughs> popular. We're just like, but they haven't changed. You liked it before. Like, what? Anyway, I just, I, I, I hate shit like that. But, um, do you want to rate this uh, film, Kenny? Are you? Uh, yeah. Are you? Are, yeah. Do you want to go first? Wait, I'd I'm love gonna, to hear you. I'd love to. Sarah, hear you, you got something?
4: Wait, I'd, I'd like us to talk Please? a little bit about um, the couple, the secondary couple of this movie, Rupert Please. Everett and Jonathan mm-hmm. Rhys Meyers. Uh, I will say, like, I was watching this whole movie, being like, how have I never heard of a movie that is Rupert Everett and Jonathan Rhys Meyers play a, yeah. a jewel heist? canon couple that yep. like f- has a physical relationship. And then we get to the end where one of them kills the other and you're like, Oh, that's, that's why right. none of my gay friends recommended this film to me. <laughs> and I, to that. Yeah. I think it's that not, like, it, yeah, that's some not a very sexy relationship to about like, yeah. for some reason, this movie goes all in. I mean, I know the reason we all know the reason, but this movie goes all in on, a a straight male point of view when I think when it's like such a shame because like it's so fucking interesting and rare and refreshing to see like a queer polyamorous like friend group and they're stealing jewels and they're dancing around with each other and they're all very beautiful and like that's so fun and refreshing and then it's like Oh, but the movie—the point of view of the movie, the perspective of the movie is just, like, not really – doesn't really get it. <laughs> it's, well, it just it's doesn't really, kind of all it all of doesn't the really go there. It may be <laughs> – yeah.
3: yeah, sorry. Go it's, it's such go, an
4: aside. If, even though it's word, such a big part of the film, it's also – you can kind of feel like the movie makers don't really care that they've got this, you know, at the time, very rare to see, you know, like, pretty big actors – Playing like an actual gay couple, especially one that has some sort of weird polyamorous thing going on.
2: <laughs> I I do think that now there this is troublesome in its own right. But they weren't a couple to me. He, Rupert Everett was was dating a child, and he you know he, he he turned eighteen in the movie. He was a runaway that I think Rupert Everett took. Took yeah, in. I didn't know
4: he was 18 in that scene. Okay.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, I will it's, say, laws in England are different. That's. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, he, it's a uh, do not date a child. That is disgusting. But it's, <laughs> it's not, I mean, of
2: course it is, of course it is like partially that, but.
4: Yeah, I, I thought I he and... Uh, the. Regna were like basically the same age. So I I
2: think it was his 18th birthday, they said, at the oh, okay. um, at yeah. the bar. But I would that's my uh, but, but <laughs> No, but I'm not like but I but I'm but I'm not standing here being like, uh oh, I I got you. It's not that. It's yeah. more that he was it, it's more that he was a runaway and more that he was so vulnerable and that he was being taken advantage of. And uh, you know, essentially kind of like Olivered into a life of crime um, to <laughs> some extent. And I do feel like that, uh, you know, his kind of it's it, it, at the ex, at the um, what's the word I'm looking for at the expense of this potential gay romance, which could have been interesting uh, if done differently. You did have the story of uh, it's essentially like. An abused kid who found his freedom um, and kind of did away with his abuser, but that's how I looked at Rupert Everett's character as a um, as a real kind of creepy Bill Sykes type who takes in these runaways and sleeps with them and has them do crimes and um, you know deals drugs, but
4: but yeah, I I think it's problematic. Like again, like it ends with. Jonathan Rhys-Myers killing yeah. the guy that he's being physically intimate with, which is just sort of like a really dark place to go. Um And I like, I think that is kind of like the thing of like it it's, opens and, you know, you see them dancing and they're all having a good time. And I'm, and I like immediately I'm like, Oh, I'm going to love this movie. And then it just, like <laughs> it's just yeah. like, no, no, no. We're not. And it doesn't even kind of get into like, not that you need to spell out that someone who is sleeping with a teenager is like the bad guy, but the movie plays it so normally that it feels like it's sort of hard to get on the level of like, there's just, I think it with those actors and with the amount of screen time it has, uh, I think it was a real missed opportunity to have not terrible representation. And I think, that is also kind of how I feel about like you know, um, not to bring the fucking bractol test into this, but like I she doesn't even have any like, female friends. She asks a boss if she can go out of town, and like that's it. Like she doesn't have friends that aren't
3: her part boss of a say sexual relationship.
4: Rain? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, she does. She's yeah she's it, yeah she goes they, from they, they, the couple she's sleeping with to Jared Harris who she's sleeping with, and she doesn't have outside people. Yeah. And I think that's just another, like, thing of, like, well, you know, the straight male point of view. Uh,
2: yeah, and I think what you're, what you're speaking to, I, I always have this kind of, there's always this kind of push and pull, particularly with older movies. But happens now all the time, too, when it comes to representation. Because at one point, you, in one sense, you have a responsibility to tell the best story you can tell. And if you've decided that the best story you can tell has a gay couple that's represented this way, okay, fine, on another level, so many movies made by straight white men that have gay couples in it, and tragically for those gay people, yeah, whether yeah. it's through violence or whether it's through AIDS or some kind of other thing that kind of has this like undercurrent of well, that's what happens if you go gay <laughs> so there is this there is this like it's hard. I, I actually think it's hard to like. I think it's hard to uh, to um, to critique these movies alone, yep. because in and of itself, I didn't have that issue with this movie. But okay, it all like, made
4: sense in the film I, context.
2: Yeah, yeah. But taken like at, like at, like it's placed within the fabric of movies, particularly Weinstein movies. Movies in 1999. We've seen so many of them. We're like being gay is something to be laughed at or something to be feared or something to be fearful of or fearful for. Um, It is one of those things. And at this point in time, nineteen ninety nine, kind of the main thing that, you know, there should have been some more sensitivity. I I agree with you in in how you tell this story and less kind of like a cautionary tale, but.
4: And, and like in a weird way, like, okay, I, I do want to be, you know, Self-aware, like, acknowledge that a movie that I watch in 2020, uh, 2021 now, is it's not going, like, it was made two decades ago. Like, yeah, I understand ago, yeah. that it is not going to be as progressive as we have gotten. Like, we have moved farther and I don't want to, like, hold it to exactly the same standards or to... Uh, hold it to the same tropes that have developed since then and then, like, suddenly punish this movie from 1999. But I think the thing that I couldn't really, like, go of mentally with this is that I feel like given that this movie ended up kind of being a huge bomb, I think it could have had cult status if it was a movie that was made to kind of be, like, a not necessarily like a can't movie, but like a movie that was designed to be for women and for the queer community and have this kind of like pulpy, fun, sexy vibe to it. yeah, but it like it's so much about how, you know, assi- it's so much about assimilation. like i ca- I couldn't stop thinking about how much it was about assimilation with like her, you know, no one says her name correctly. Uh, and she has to learn how to be domestic. And the end of the movie, the happy ending of the movie is her learning to blend in with these British ladies. Um, which is like fine, but like I think it, I think this movie would have found its audience if it had kind of had a more fun queer attitude about it. Like I think it could have had like a nice little cult status and it didn't. And I think that's, that is the thing that breaks my heart when I see old stuff. Uh, that like, Oh, you guys were so afraid yeah. of not yeah. having white men see this movie that you kind of ruined it for everyone. And then white men didn't show up. So then you were screwed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I think with the title, like Bee Monkey, you pretty much are have all proportions. I mean, yeah, that, I, They status, should not have
4: kept that title. It's a terrible title. It it's like, really it's, puts you off. It tells you nothing about the
2: film. It's <laughs> to me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like if the stupid, title it is. It sounds like it's for Children. Yeah. It,
4: and, it sounds like a children's movie. <laughs> a a no, the, furnace, well, B monkey.
2: But the yeah. other thing is, is uh, yes, but <laughs> it also makes me think of spanking the monkey, not the movie, not the action. And oh, that's, that's uh, true. Yeah,
4: it it does almost feel like it. It also makes you think it'll be much more of a comedy than it is.
3: <laughs> it's a. I think of not, monkey bone, personally. Yeah, monkey bones, making bone.
4: the monkey. Uh, yeah. Monkeys are silly. They're silly. I don't like
1: the term.
4: <laughs> that's why silly in movies in use in monkeys in the title.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, monkey, there you go. But um, let's rate it, Phil. Let's. Uh, yeah, let's all right. yeah.
3: Uh I'm. I'm. Uh, do you want to go first? Me? Yeah. You want me to yeah. go first? I'll go first. Gonna... I'll go first. I'll go first. All right. Uh I so um watched the film this morning coming into this podcast, knowing very little about this film prior to watching it. Um I gave it a 55 coming into the podcast. Um I I was sort of you know, I didn't hate it. Um I, I felt like I certainly wouldn't tell people not to watch it, but I don't know that it that it really I just—I'm not sure that I, I locked into it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I found myself sort of just flummoxed by it, and just—I'm just unsure as to what to think of what they were going for. Um, and then on top of it, you know, the Weinstein elements colored it, and then learning about this director stuff and all of that kind of, unfortunately, sort of muddied the waters. Um, after this conversation, I've gone up a little bit. Um, I'm at a 65 now. I feel like it's far from a bad movie. Um, I think it's a I think it's an interesting film um I think the stuff that you highlighted, Kenny is really interesting and valid, specifically the uh <laughs> the whole uh erectile dysfunction component that we spoke of earlier at the top of the- <laughs> yeah Kenny just gave a thumbs up for our listeners um and uh <laughs> and, and i I just felt like um, I don't think I gave it its due. I think that it's still messy. I think that the script has still got some serious issues with it. Um, but I think Michael Radford cast it really well, pulled it out in the end, made a better film that I thought, um, perhaps the script deserved. Um, so I'm, I'm at a 65. What about you, Kenny? Uh, a lot higher than you. Yeah.
2: Um, I, assume I, I, before this podcast, I had it at an 88. Wow. Um. Okay. And I wanted it to be quite high on my list. I could see uh, certain things finding its way to the uh, year-end list. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of Guinevere. Um, oh, interesting. Not, not so much in terms of content, but in terms right. of tone, in terms of scope, in terms mm-hmm. of style, mm-hmm. um, and in terms of ambition, and also in terms of, uh, I really, really liked it, and, um, you know, I would like other people to watch it that being said Mm -hmm. i am less confident that that i was before the podcast (laughs) i wouldn't i I wouldn't recommend this movie full-throatedly like i would have before the podcast there are certainly elements that i'm uncomfortable with that i wasn't before the podcast i still think it's a good flick but um i don't think it's anywhere like near it's certainly not at guinevere's level Hmm. um i'm gonna go down to an 81 i think that's a i really did like it i really thought it was really a good movie usually i find myself going up to numbers like that yeah but uh it's you know 81 i think it's a i think it's a good flick and, and i do you want, want it to be memorialized as one of the better finds
3: of the year for me okay sarah
4: Okay. Um, going into this podcast, yes. I, um, I had settled on the number 60. I feel like that's just like a nice solid, like a passing grade. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it like it passed, but I think it's far from being like great, but like it definitely more good than bad. Right. Um, throughout the course of this podcast, my instinct is to take it way down just to be a contrarian. <laughs> um, but now I feel like. Vindicated. you know, since, since, uh, due to the content of this movie, um, I have brought up a lot about like, well, okay, let's think about, you know, how this is representing women of the queer community. And I feel sure. like I'm uh, being a bit of a stick in the mud. So I'm going to go back to 60. Uh, right. nice. And great. Um, I think, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, not to uh, do a plug, but my friend Lenny, uh, has a great podcast called the filmographers where you watch literally every movie in an actor's repertoire. Uh, okay. I was a like, guest on twice. It's an endeavor. Um, I think if you were like a big Jared Harris fan, this is a must see. Like, I, I don't totally. think it's a great movie, but like, I'm a Jared Harris fan and I think this is like a really interesting role for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say as a heads up, you see his whole ass. Uh, I, I could, that's a plus and, for some people. And it's a, a thing, pretty, it's a good, I was, ass. I a good ass. I was shocked. I was shocked. His skin. Flawless. I wasn't expecting so that. I, was I wasn't thinking, expecting man. that flawless skin. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. But I, I that someone, much,
3: I might show it.
4: respects him so much. I kind of wish that I hadn't seen his whole ass.
0: But <laughs> I
4: do think plenty of people. That would be quite a treat. It's not yeah. bad. I'm yeah. not saying that. Uh, no. <laughs> it I surprised me. That's yeah. all. Uh,
2: <laughs> can I? Can I point out something that's interesting, Phil? Please. Yeah. Like very interesting. Yeah. So this movie was co-written. Uh, it was written by um, by Andrew Davies, who is a somewhat prominent British novelist. Yeah. Yeah, it was and in his book. <laughs> it was his book, yeah. And it was his book. And Chloe King. Mm-hmm. and yeah, writer
4: of Poison Ivy 2, Alyssa Milano vehicle. I've seen yes. that. That I saw in the 90s. Of course, yeah. who hasn't seen that? Yeah. <laughs> Not and in the also- 90s. I was a child in the 90s, but... Yeah. Uh- <laughs>
2: She also wrote uh, a bunch of episodes of Red Shoe Diaries, which doesn't seem that nice But uh, to bring up. But she was, Phil, she was uh, the assistant to the producers on Drugstore Cowboy, a movie that we'll be doing on our 89 Patreon, which is pretty cool. I love seeing shit like that. Someone who is an assistant to producers or a writer's assistant or something like that going on and writing, you know, movies. I guess this is a big movie. Yeah. but movies and you know movies that we are covering 22 years later so I thought that was pretty
3: cool. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Um I
4: I will say in yeah, terms please. of the female objectification in this movie as someone who saw Chloe King's other uh movie Poison Ivy 2. Yep. also just a lot of nudity for absolutely no reason. So I don't necessarily want to put all of that on men.
3: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um yeah. that's something.
4: I Honestly, like my, I want to be clear, I'm not like a total prude. I'm the one who started talking my directions in the sign so on No, I, you, haven't, you I, have yeah. I wasn't um, calling you a prude. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I'm always self conscious about that.
2: <laughs> no, I, uh, that's, that's the most male privileged thing I have yeah. is I can be the prudest and there no one go. will call me being a prude.
4: Um, I like, I'm disgusting. there is a scene very late in this movie, um, where B monkey. Uh, is topless and in boxers and has a gun pointed at someone and she's like Correct. in total control. And I think that's such a great visual. And I almost wish that that had been the only scene where we saw her topless because like by then you're kind of numb to not, it. <laughs> not, you, not you. I'm not going to imagine everyone has the same reaction right. to seeing a woman naked over and over again as I do where I'm just like, this is tedious. Wrap it up. But <laughs> uh, I, I felt like, that was so fun, but because it was after so many other naked scenes, yeah. it kind of lost its impact when I think they should have kind of been holding back a bit more for that. Uh, that is my uh, opinion on uh, I, I think they should have I think they should have been a little bit more disowning with the nudity in that movie
2: <laughs> to, to, just to bring it back to erectile dysfunction.
4: Yeah, <laughs> um, that's the pull quote of this episode, I, by the way.
3: I, just to I bring it
4: back I, to Rachel's Is I do Is this think coming the, up again. Okay, I okay. do
2: think the audience did have to see her fully, you know, fully nude once in the beginning, so you really had a sense of what you expected Jared Harris's character to do, right. and the way that when the way that was, you know, kind of uh, inverted by what actually happened. Yeah, that's it. That's no, all no, no, I got. And, and it,
4: you know, us talking about that, like, my, my problem with that storyline really was that, like, it's, it's so immediately dropped. Yeah. Um. Like, uh, I, like I said, like, I think it made perfect sense for him to be kind of overwhelmed and intimidated in that situation because, like. She really doesn't give him any heads up that that's about to happen. Yeah, I mean, I
3: think I'd be overwhelmed by, uh, by that situation.
4: Right. Yeah. If you're hanging out and someone just takes all their clothes off, uh, you know what? Uh, it's a little shocking. Uh, right, right, so yeah. I, I do think that that was, uh, maybe that wouldn't have played very well. If it had just been, you know, like she takes her top, she takes her shirt off, but she's still wearing like a bra and she's like, come on. Like, I I do think, you know, in a PG 13 movie, that scene doesn't really play. (laughs) It just doesn't really, like, you need her to be as in your face about it as possible. Um,
3: She definitely is in your face (laughs) in this film. Uh, There's no question that uh, it's, yeah
4: two scenes of him bathing her, and I feel like that's—
3: yeah, yeah, Either either
4: go for the hat trick or just <laughs> once. That's my opinion yeah, on bathing yeah, I scenes. You, I feel
3: you. <laughs> Triple down or don't do it at all.
4: Yeah. Um, it well, should have Sarah- just been him bathing her in different par- different houses. <laughs> that's the whole movie. I mean, <laughs> they just travel close. the countryside bathing in different locations.
3: <laughs> uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Bee Monkey with us. Um, thank we, you so, so much for having me. We this. very, very much appreciate it. We hope that you'll come back for something else in the future.
4: I'd love to be back.
3: Yeah. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcastlikeits. We're also on Twitter at it's 1999 We're also on Instagram at it's 1999 uh, Thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our amazing art and theme songs, and most of all, thank you all for listening. It's like it's